Greetings, friends. Good to have you here. So thankful you made it. In spite of the weather, it, um, it's good to see you here. It's a blessing being together, singing, especially at the beginning of Advent, as we just have, remembering uh, the, the blessed coming of our Lord and Savior as one of us. It's an amazing story, isn't it, that we believe? Yeah, it is. So good to, to understand that fully and, and be blessed by it in so many ways. As normal as it may seem to you and me to come weekly to a building and sing songs like we just have and then hear a sermon preached, um, some might say that's not so normal. That might be a waste of a Sunday morning. There's so many other things you could do. What are you doing here week after week? Um, and so beginning, beginning today, I want to uh, introduce to you a sermon, new sermon series that we're going to be in for a while. Don't know how long, maybe a year or two. But uh, I, I want to I encourage you this morning by, by letting you know that being here in a place like this, listening uh, to a sermon preached and participating in uh, singing of songs is really a, a blessed perspective and a, a blessing for each of us from God himself. Um, but why do you come here week after week, sit through a 75-minute service and um, do what you do here? Some may do it out of habit. Some may do it out of tradition. Some may do it out of a spouse's expectation, whatever reason that may be. Maybe, though, and hopefully so, you're aware of the value of this weekly gathering, the uh, strategic and intentional decision-making that went into your participation week in and week out of being here. Maybe you actually are one of those who actually hope to see God work in your life, you know, and participate um, with the Holy Spirit and uh, the people of God in a way that is an encouragement to yourself and to those around you. Maybe that's it. That's my prayer, at least. And so as we begin this sermon series today um, on the book of Colossians, um, I want to also ask you to consider, just for today, uh, why you're making the commitment to be here week after week in the first place. And I want to suggest to you that it is for the following reasons to be preached at. As odd as that may sound, uh, it is in fact what we do here. Uh, actually, what you do here, and yet I, I listen to myself, um, but particularly you. So why preach? Why do people show up to get preached at? I want to read for you, if you'll uh, allow me to, from an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. And in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 5 through 8, is a reason that we sit through the preaching of the word week in and week out. And Ezra opened the book, and that is the book of Scripture. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people... For he was above all the people. That was like a podium, kind of like this. He was raised up 
in elevation so all the people could see him. Uh, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Now, I, I don't suggest that you stand while I read or preach, but that's what they did. All the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then in verse 7, it lifts a bunch of difficult-to-pronounce names, and it says these guys were called Levites, and they also helped Ezra read the book that was open in front of them. It said, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And then here's the verse I want to emphasize. Verse 8, they read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave a sense so that the people understood the reading. So why preach? It's because we hear from God in the preaching of his word. We actually hear from God. If the preacher is faithful to opening the word of God and explaining it to you to make sense of it, to use Nehemiah's words, then you are actually hearing from God, which isn't a waste of time. The last time I checked, preaching, as we saw in the book of Nehemiah, was a means of grace. In other words, it's a way that we can experience the grace of God. It, it, Started, though, before Nehemiah and Ezra's time. Anybody remember the story of Noah from Genesis 6? Yeah, well, if you recall that story, Noah did the same thing. He preached to whoever would listen. So at least beginning back with Noah up through today, it has been the practice of God to reveal himself, to bring benefits to his people through the preaching of the word. So the way that you can, can make sense of this is that you're expecting some blessing from God in the context of this sermon, in the preaching of his word. Paul told Timothy, for example, to preach the word. Preach the word when it was acceptable and popular and also when it was disdained or unpopular. He said preach the word in season or out of season. So whatever the circumstances, Paul said the answer to life and society's woes was the preaching of God's word. So it's through the preaching of the word that we can see throughout biblical history that the Holy Spirit addresses issues of the heart. It's not uncommon for the preached word to be the vehicle through which exposes the issues of the heart. In other words, you may not even realize that there are issues inhibiting your relationship with God until the preacher opens his mouth. So if they would just keep quiet, right? No, so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, he uses the word preached, and by the way, it's God's word preached, it's not my word preached. It's God's words pre preached to you. The Holy Spirit uses God's word preached to begin the process of sanctification, to begin the process of becoming like Jesus. That's how it works. And so when he gave, when Paul gave Timothy this command to preach the word, it, it makes it reasonable for us to believe that we all need to be under the preached word. We all need to be changed into the likeness of Christ through the preached word. 
And in case you didn't know, that is one of the purposes for being a believer. It's becoming like Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, that it is God's will that Christians be, that is we who follow Christ, be conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to become like him. How do we do that? Well, Jesus said in John 17, when he was praying to his Father, he said, uh, sanctify them in the truth, that sanctify us in the truth, your word is truth. And so the way that we become like Jesus is having the word of God explained to us to make sense of it in your own heart and mind. And so that is what we do here week in and week out. We get together, we open up the Bible, we read it, I explain it and apply it to you, we walk out and we've been preached at. And then the Holy Spirit does the work that only he can do. Sitting under the preached word Christian is critical to your spiritual development. There is no other way to get from point A or point A to point B from uh, weak, young Christian to strong, growing Christian other than the preached word. There's no other path from here to there. And this is important to understand. Absence from the exposure to the preached word, absence from this weekly worship service, um, where the word is preached, severely impedes your spiritual growth. In Colossians chapter 3.16, for example, Paul writes to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why would Paul say that? Why would the apostle, who wrote over half the New Testament, why would he say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Why? Because it is through the preached word, through that word flowing over your soul and saturating your heart with truths from God, it is through that process that you become like him, that you become like Jesus. You become patient, kind, loving, good, faithful, etc. So the word of God cannot dwell in you richly if it never enters your heart through your ears. You have to have the word preached to you, have the word explained to you, have the word applied to you so that you can grow like Paul is describing. So now you might ask, well, can I read my Bible at home? Sure you can and you should. But there is no substitute in at least God's economy for sitting here and listening the word of God wash over your heart week after week. That is critical to understand. The Holy Spirit works in unique ways here during this hour, during the corporate gathering of God's people, and he has ordained that the preaching of the word is the primary means of grace in our lives in this context. So it's important that you get preached at. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, many of you are familiar with this, this uh, verse. It says, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So the word of God is alive. What we have in our hands is alive, and it works at penetrating and cutting through all the nonsense and getting to the issues in our heart. That is what the word of God does, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I don't know about you, but that's what I need. I need the word of God to do its work in me because I won't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. The word of God preached drives to the depths of our hearts and applies soothing and healing salve to the wounded heart, 
and at the same time, to those who need it, applies a sledgehammer to the hard heart. This is what the, the Word of God, when it's explained, you may be sitting here and hurting and brokenhearted, and the same sermon that soothes your soul crushes the heart of another person sitting next to you that needs to be crushed. That's the amazing truth of the Holy Spirit's application of Scripture to each and every person in the room. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that Scripture, this book, originates with God and is profitable for instruction, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Whatever is needed, the Word of God does in the context of this sermon or of this particular hour during the week. There will be times as you sit here week in and week out when your heart will resist what's being preached. It'll run against what your particular persuasion or opinion is. You won't like it, in other words. And you won't like it because your sin nature, just like mine, has a natural resistance to God's word because of its penetrating nature. We don't want to have our sins exposed. We don't want to have our shortcomings made known, even to our own mind. But when the word of God is preached, it penetrates to the deepest level, even the Bible says to the motives of our heart and lets us know things need to change. The preached word touches an unsanctified nerve in your mind or your heart and we resist it naturally because we don't like that discomfort. Depending on the issue that's being addressed or the depth of sin that's been established in your life, you'll resist it more or less. But there will be times when you hear the word preached and you have the, you'll feel a wall going up of resistance. And you know what? If you don't feel that way, either you or me have got something going on wrong. You should feel that way, not on an irregular basis. Why? because we have still in us a resistance to God, even though we have been saved by grace. Hence, the need for preaching. The need for hard preaching, in fact. John MacArthur said, soft preaching makes hard hearts, but hard preaching makes soft hearts. Which do you want? Want me to get up here and sugarcoat everything? and tell you how great you are and send you out the back room? Yeah, Will's saying, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> no, we don't want that really, do we? No, we want to actually do business with God. We want to, him to take care of whatever it is that's between him and me. And so we, we welcome this, even though at times it's uncomfortable. The only way to soften our naturally hard heart is to sit under preaching that breaks that granite hard rock of our heart. And you think, ah, that seems like a pretty strong illustration. Well, it's not mine, thankfully. It's Jeremiah's. Listen to this. Jeremiah 23, 29. God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? That's what God's word is like. It, it actually comes in and soothes and heals the wounded heart, but at the same time, breaks to pieces the hard heart. And this takes repeated pounding. Now, I have an illustration that uh, will confirm to you my propensity to get injured. Uh, I've, I've had this struggle with, with ongoing, I naturally haven't seen myself as an injury prone person, but this past four years I'm beginning to question that. 
So uh, anyways, most of you know I had a shoulder surgery here whenever that was, last February, I think. And uh, I was incapacitated, but I had this big uh, slab of cement that I had cut out uh, and I needed to put it in the back of my truck and take it to the dump, but I couldn't lift it, not only because I didn't have two arms, but it weighed like 2,000 pounds. And so I had a, this great idea of getting out my sledgehammer and beating on that thing. And, and I, this was in March and I had surgery in February. And so I realized I wasn't so stupid that I used my right arm. I said, I can swing that hammer, that sledgehammer with one arm. And so I, I did so. I swung and I beat and beat and beat on that thing. It seemed like 30 minutes. And eventually that thing broke up and I was able to get the small pieces this big and throw them into the back of my truck with my left hand. But the next morning I woke up and my back was out of sorts for some reason because I used one arm to sling a sledgehammer. The point is, it took repeated blows to that piece of cement uh, to get that thing to break into pieces where it was actually able to get put into its proper place. And that is the case with you, Christian friend. You need repeated blows, and here's why. I'm not saying you're worse than the person next to you. I'm saying you're just like the rest of us that need repeated blows at times to break up the hardness of your heart to get things in the proper place. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when the Word of God is faithfully preached. He takes care of business all the time in this setting. So the hammer breaks the rock into pieces, according to Jeremiah 23, verse 29. That's why we preach, because we want the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. The next question that I want to answer is, why preach Colossians? Why are we moving into a new book of the Bible? Well, we've completed the last sermon series we were just in, and now I want to move into a new one, and I believe that the book of Colossians will have much benefit for each of us in this room. So, but why preach Colossians particularly? Even though this letter, the book of Colossians, uh, was written from prison in Rome, by a follower of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago, you are not going to believe the relevance of this book to your current daily life. I think it's going to blow your mind how practical the book of Colossians is to us today in the 21st century. Even though this book is over 2,000 years old, uh, th this short letter, which can be read in about 15 minutes, focuses on Christ as the answer to our questions. This book focuses on Christ, the answer to our questions. Are your questions in the arena of knowing God? How can I know God? Well, Paul presents Jesus Christ as completely and fully God. Do you want to know God? Here is a key insight from the book of Colossians. Jesus is God, so get to know him. You get to know Jesus, you get to know God. And Jesus is accessible to us because he came here, as we're celebrating now, 2,000 years ago at his first advent and revealed God to us in person, in the flesh. We can know God by getting to know Jesus. So this is what we want to do during this sermon series. After we've spent time, weeks, months, and maybe years 
Studying this particular short book, you will know God much better than you do today. Are your questions about gaining knowledge, about understanding, about intellectual growth? Maybe that's your question. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. That's a profound claim. All the treasures, all, not some, all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Do you have questions? Where do you think the answers are? They're in Jesus because all the treasures are hidden in him. D dig into him with us during the next few months and see if some of these questions of yours about knowledge and intellectual growth and understanding become resolved. Maybe your questions are about religion in general or being fully satisfied in your particular spiritual practices. For example, are you worshiping in the right way? Are you worshiping in the right church? Are you worshiping with the right people? Maybe it's the people around you that are a hang up, right? Well, probably not, but what is your question? Do you think that there are certain religious practices that you're missing out on and, and because of that you're missing out on God's blessing? If you would just do it like this or like that or joined that church or that denomination, then would happen for you? Do you think there's a spiritual magic wand out there somewhere that if you just found it, that your questions about religion and relationship with God would be resolved? Well, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 10, that Jesus himself is the only thing that satisfies. Jesus himself is the only thing that satisfies, not churches particularly, not denominations, not religious practices, but a person named Jesus. And so <laughs> the reasonable person would say, okay, I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to pursue him and he will answer my religious questions. He will solve the dilemmas of my heart when it comes to religion. Maybe your questions center on identity. What is your identity based on? Your looks, your health, your wealth, your intellect? What is your particular identity based on? Some of us have our identity based on our vocation. Some of it have based on our relationships. What is yours based on? Um, do you have a constant struggle to be accepted by those around you, whether it's at work, at home, in the community, or even at church? Is that an area that you're questioning and wondering about, how to resolve? Well, the, the book in front of us profoundly answers those questions. Colossians 3.11. Listen to this. Here, that is, in the church, here, there is not Greek or Jew, not circumcised or uncircumcised, not barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That is a mind-blowing proposition if you think just a short time about it. In other words, 
we are all acceptable in Christ. We are all acceptable to each other because we are all in Christ. We, we are here all on the same foundation, same footing. None is better than the others. We are all acceptable to each other because we are in Christ. I'll explain that to you. And I think it's going to make a dramatic effect on how you view yourself in your world. If we do this right, Sun Valley Church, if, if we, we figure this particular portion of Colossians out, how to view each other in Christ, we, we should be able to live in loving and joyful harmony with each other and everyone will feel accepted and valued. And guess what that's going to do to the life of our church? Do you think it will have an, in, an influence, an impact? I can't tell you how much it will have. All I know is this. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, The world will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. If we can figure this out, Sun Valley Church, we could have three services and we still couldn't find a place to sit in this building. Another pertinent question that this wonderful little letter contains and answers is this, can I really change? Can you change? Can my spouse change? Maybe that's the most important question for some of you. I mean, really, we each have some pretty ingrained vices in our lives, don't we? And you've struggled, like me, with these maybe for decades. Can I change? Is it possible for me to change? Is, some, is there something that Jesus can do about this issue in my life? Yes or no? Guess what Paul's answer is? A resounding yes. Jesus can and does things for people that change them dramatically every day of the year. In the letter to the Colossians that's before us, Paul tells us that Jesus changes people and he does so radically. Evidently, Jesus changed these Colossians who received this letter from Paul. Paul reminded them that they had been changed from the inside out. They were once in darkness, now where were they? In the light. They were once outside the kingdom. Now they're inside the kingdom. They were once alienated and even hostile to God. Now what? They're friends with God. Things changed dramatically for this small church in Colossae. Prior to, prior to Jesus' work in their lives, they existed under the power of darkness, as we read earlier. And as I just said, they were alienated from God, even hated him. But Jesus delivered them from all that. At one point in their past, they had been wrapped up in sexual immorality, evil desires, coveting each other's possessions, and had all sorts of idols. And I'm not talking about little figurines. I'm talking about idols, things that get between them and God. The same kind of stuff that we struggle with. The idol of vocation, the idol of family, the idol of whatever in your heart. They had all that stuff. They had the same struggles we have. And yet, it seems that Jesus changed them. Before they met Jesus, they were committed to a self-centered uh, pursuit of passion and their own agenda. 
But, but coming into a relationship with, with Jesus changed them into people who were committed to his agenda, bearing fruit for his kingdom, and were fully pleasing to him in every way, it says, and also a joy to those around them. Can you actually say, I am a joy to everybody in my life? Oh, you can say what you want, right? But maybe I should ask your friends. Uh, would they say that about you? Friends, Jesus changes people all the time. So why not us? Why not us? God changes us in two ways. First of all, he changes us objectively, and secondly, he changes us subjectively. Let me tell you how God changes us objectively. We are positionally changed in the eyes of God from unrighteous to righteous. That's <laughs> eternally significant. He changes us from unrighteous to righteous. It's an objective truth. Listen to this in first, uh, the first chapter of Colossians, verse 22. That is, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. No matter what your subjective reality is, objectively, Jesus has changed you from an uh, a rebel, disobedient rebel, hostile to God, to someone who's holy and blameless before him. Right now, objectively, that's the way God sees you if you're in Christ. That's significant. It's an objective change. Listen to this in the 13th verse of, first, of the first chapter of Colossians. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom are forgiveness of sins. Prior to your relationship with Jesus, you were considered by God a sinner. After you've come to know Christ, guess how God views you? A child of God that's been forgiven of your sins. And not just forgiven of your past sins, but forgiven of your future sins. That's objective, truth. Change. Now listen to Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Guess what? When you come to Jesus, when you experience this radical transforming relationship that you begin with Christ at one point in your human history, when that happens, the Bible calls that spiritual death. You, you, you die to self. It's, it's something like you witness in baptism. When we, we dunk people in baptism... They, they are dying to self and being raised to new life in Christ. It's a picture. It's the same thing that happens objectively in the Christian life, spiritually speaking. When we come to Christ, we die to ourself and our own agenda, and then our life is hidden in Christ. It's, it's placed in God, uh, in Jesus Christ. So he changes us objectively, but he also changes us subjectively. And what I mean by that is the change that we experience that's real and objective happens subjectively over time, bit by bit, little by little. He changes our interests, our desires, our affections, our motives, slowly but surely. We are in the process of being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes it's hard to see this change up close, but when you step back and take a broader perspective viewpoint, you can see it. And in this letter to the Colossians, we see the subjective transformation of these original recipients of the letter, just as we should be able to see, at least at some level, some slow, subjective, but real changes in how we think and live. In chapter 3, for example, Paul exhorts us to fight against anger. Anybody here have a propensity to blow up at people and say things you shouldn't say or do things you shouldn't do? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is about working that out of your life, identifying those things and pushing them to the external, to the outside of your experience. How about malice, lust, slander, gossip, or obscene talk, or even telling white lies to people in your life to make you feel better about yourself? Any of those things true of any of you? Guess what? Paul says the Holy Spirit's addressing those things in your life as we speak. He is identifying those things through the preaching of the word by his Holy Spirit, bringing them to the surface so he can see them and rid them of their part of your life. And so Paul says we need to exchange all these uh, troubling things that we all have in our lives, uh, get rid of those things, and then replace them with a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ and his people. So, if you at one point struggled with anger, malice, lust, slander, gossip, obscene talk, and lying, you ought to replace those things, and the Holy Spirit will see to it, it, it happening. Replace those things with compassion, kindness, humility, patience, bearing with each other, and quickness to forgive. This is what actually happens in the Christian life. It may not be overnight, and most of the time it's not overnight. Usually it takes decades. But you step back a bit, and you'll see these things happening. And sometimes, even when you step back, you go, I don't really see it. Because you, you know your own faults, right? And you can step back, and you step further back, and you go, eh. Sometimes you need to call in the help of, of an honest and faithful friend who will say, no, I've known you for a decade, and I can see spiritual growth in your life. Keep, keep receiving the word. Keep being saturated by the word. Keep being preached at. Friends, we, we are to pursue loving harmony in the body of Christ, in the church. We are to be filled with overflowing with godliness. So look back over the last 6, 12, 18 months and, and look for change. Have you seen it? Is Jesus Christ at work in you? Are you able to point to some headway in some areas? Are you more patient now, more kind, more loving, more tenderhearted? than you were at this time last year, or this time five years ago? That's just where the Spirit of God does. So again, let me, let me bring this together for you. Why preach Colossians? Number one, to become familiar with Christ. To become familiar with Christ. If Christ is the focus of Colossians, preaching Colossians, listening to Colossians being preached is gonna help familiarize you with Christ. Now, some of you say, well, I'm already pretty familiar with Christ. I know his story. I, I've read the Bible. I, I, I know Christ. And I would say, that is fantastic. But can you know him more? Can you be more familiar with Christ? And I don't know anybody who would say, no, I, I'm, <laughs> I pretty much know him. 
Well, let me, for those of you who think that way, uh, let me tell that one person in the room that thinks that way, uh, let me remind you that Christ is infinite and you will never know infinitude. That's the point of eternity, by the way. The reason eternity is eternal is because Christ is infinite. And to know Christ means we must be alive for eternity. We just keep on learning of Christ, keep on seeing more and more revelation of Jesus throughout eternity. That is what heaven is, by the way. You, you, he'll say, hey, Sun Valley, come over here. I want to show you something about myself. And we'll all go, oh, wow. And we'll talk about that for a few thousand years. And then we'll be revealed, something else will be revealed to us about Christ, and so on and so forth, so forth for eternity. We will be exposed to greater and more glorious and amazing things about our Savior throughout eternity. But the, the way I want to kind of help you see this idea of becoming familiar, more familiar with Christ, is to ask you to look at verses 15 through 20 with me just for a second. I'm not going to get into the depths of this because this, would, this particular passage will take a few months to cover. But I'm just going to give you a taste. Verse 15, chapter 1 of Colossians says, He, that is Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you getting a taste? <laughs> Continuing in verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn uh, of the dead, and that everything he in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, in heaven or on earth, to making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to focus on verse 16. It, it, and by the way, I was going to say to you uh, earlier, but I want to encourage you to bring a pen on Sunday mornings. To bring a pen on Sunday mornings so that you can write down things that the Holy Spirit's teaching you or things that come to mind as you're being preached at, write them in your Bible or underline things in your Bible. That's very helpful. But look at verse 16 again. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And now here's where you underline something. And for him. And for him. You were created for him. You were not created for you. You were not created for anybody else. You were created for him. This is significant. The reason that we can change Christian friends and be confident that God can actually change us is because he's not only our savior, he's our creator. He made you so he can change you. In verse 16, Paul gives us this, this guiding identity that I'm emphasizing that we were created by him for him. This is really important and, and a guiding principle in the Christian life. 
I think this particular truth and the others that are surrounding this truth uh, have significant implications for how we think day in and day out, how we live. Who are you living for? Is it for yourself or for him? Just answering that question honestly may do some amazing work in your heart. This short but powerful letter brings us all sorts of hope and guidance. Paul's letter to the Colossian church here teaches us about Christian relationships, for example, how to relate to your spouse. Paul addresses it. You might be struggling with that. You might be wondering if there is any hope in that department. Well, guess what? There is. Paul reveals it. We will learn how we ought to think as a spouse, think as a parent, think as a child, think as an employer, think as an employee. Jesus uses means to change us, people. He uses means. In other words, uh, he brings things to our lives to help us change. Like the preaching of the word. Like good friends. In, in chapter 1, verse 18, we see that he's the head of his church, for example. What does that mean? It means that he orchestrates the local fellowships, local churches, like Sun Valley Church. He directs his ministers, the elders and pastors, who he has appointed to lead in this church to shepherd his people and walk with them towards Christ-likeness. God's providence has you here at Sun Valley Church, whether it's just for today or if you've been here for a while and intend to stay, God's providence has you here at Sun Valley Church because God knows that the pastors and elders here are perfectly suited to help you on your spiritual journey. So you're here. You're not there, you're here. So Jesus changes us into his likeness by all of us being connected to the local body of believers who strain together for obedience to God and his word for mutual edification, mutual encouragement. Listen to this, and I, I have it on the overhead for you because I, I copied it in the New King James Version. I just like the way it's interpreted in the New King James. And you are complete in him. Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in him. Friends, what do you lack? What do you lack? Proper understanding? A clear picture of Christ? Uh, a biblical, godly identity? What do you lack? Guess what? We're complete in him. You're complete in Christ. All we got to do now is look to Christ, study Christ, love Christ, follow Christ. So we have, we have these reasons to be preaching Colossians. The first is to become familiar with Christ. The second is to become familiar with Christ's word. And I want to say again, you may want to write in your notes more familiar. Because some of you may be very familiar. Some of you are Bible scholars. Some of you understand what God's word is about. Some of you can even quote all the books of the Bible, at least their titles, um, word for word. But we need to become more familiar with Christ's word. How are we going to get a thorough grasp of Christ's word? 
I have a, a, a couple stories for you uh, that pertain to one individual that God placed in my life. His name was Dr. John G. Mitchell. He was the founding professor, leader uh, at Multnomah School of the Bible that I attended in the late 70s and early 80s over the last century. Uh, and it was, I know I'd clarify that, clarify that for some of you, <laughs> but uh, um, I went to Multnomah School of the Bible and uh, when I attended, Dr. Mitchell was uh, 92 when I was a freshman and he was preaching and teaching every single day. And I had him uh, for numerous classes. One was uh, a, a class called um, Spiritual Life and every freshman had to take it. And so we were at Central Bible Church, which is near the campus of Multnomah in Portland, Oregon. And uh, three times a week, we had all the freshmen would go and sit in their auditorium, about 500 of us, and listen to Dr. Mitchell explain spiritual life to us. And he, he was uh, uh, an amazing individual. At, in this particular class, um, he was teaching on 1 John. And he said, okay, I want you all to turn to uh, the first epistle of John, and I'm going to begin reading, and I want you to follow along. And this was a rare occasion where I was sitting close enough to the front where I could see what was going on. Uh, I normally was with the backsliders um, in the back. And... But this particular reason, maybe the back filled up first, like this church. All those, those high-value seats in the back, I guess. Um, and anyways, this, that's where I usually sat. But this particular day, I was sitting up front, and he said, okay, I'm going to start reading First John. And so he begins reading away in First John, and we're all following along, on, yeah, 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 turning all the pages. And then I, I was sitting there looking up at this guy, and I noticed something odd. His Bible was upside down. <laughs> he, was, he was this 92-year-old guy quoting 1 John, word for word. And how do I know this? Because his Bible was upside down. <laughs> Unless he had this tricky little way of reading, he was quoting 1 John. By the time I was a senior uh, at Multnomah, uh, and I was in Mitchell's uh, Hebrews um, through Phile uh, Hebrews, no, Philemon through Revelation class, we, were, we gained confidence and courage enough to ask this guy questions. And one of the questions that was asked in the class I was in was, how have you memorized so much of the Bible? And this guy could quote you the entire New Testament by heart and most of the Old Testament. Yeah. So someone asked that. How, what, what's your memory method? How do you, you know, do it? You know, you, you get this app before there were apps and uh, you, it separates or pulls out words and, you know, adds them back in and pretty soon you've got the, the verse memorized. Whatever that app is, he didn't have it. And so we were asking him how we did this. What was his method? And he goes, I've never memorized the Bible. And we're like, what? He goes, no, I, I just read it. I, I, I'm saturated with it. I can tell you, he said, where on the page John 3.16 is in my Bible. It's on the left-hand side about halfway down in the left column. And he goes, and then you want to know about Jacob and Esau? It's on the right-hand side of the page about 
three-fourths of the way down on the center column. And he just, on and on he went. Um, and this, this sounds arrogant, but it wasn't. If you knew Mitchell, he was anything but arrogant. And this was in the senior class, and he said, if anybody in this room can quote a verse that I can't finish, I'll give you an A in the class. And so we're digging through, you know, the, the remote stuff in the Old Testament. And we, I got one, you don't know this one. And, and he, every time. <laughs> it was mind-blowing. The point is, he was familiar with Christ's word. My second story, I told you I had two stories about Mitchell. Uh, when he was a young man, before he entered ministry, uh, he was on a train from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, going to the other side of the continent on this train. It's like a week-long train trip. And he was walking through the train, and he came across one particular car, and he saw G. Campbell Morgan. And for those of you who don't know, G. Campbell Morgan is a highly esteemed commentator, pastor, author, uh, someone who greatly influenced John Mitchell. And he's like, oh my goodness. And by about the second day, Mitchell gets up enough courage to ask this old Saint G. Campbell Morgan his secret to exposition, his secret to preaching. And uh, this is G. Campbell Morgan's response according to Mitchell himself. I'm not going to tell you because you won't do it. Please give me some rest. I mean, you work two days to get up courage to ask this guy this, and that's his answer. And so Mitchell walks out of the train car with, with you know, his tail between his legs and goes and sits and pouts in his seat for who knows how long. Finally gets up enough courage to come back, and he says, I know you're, you need your rest, Mr. Morgan, but if I promise you that I will do what you say, will you tell me your secret to exposition? He says, if you promise me. And so he goes, okay, I promise. No, you know, double promise me kind of thing. Okay, I promise. He goes, before I even study the text, before I even start digging into the text, I read it out loud 75 times. And I'm not talking the verse. I'm talking about the book the verse belongs in. That's my secret. And he goes, now go do it. And so that was Mitchell's mantra. And if you went through a Bible study methods class in Multnomah School of the Bible, guess how many times you had to read the book under study? 75. 75. So you saw Multnomah students walking around the campus doing this. You know, and in the, in the lunch line. Everybody knew what's going on. Ah, you're in a Bible study methods class. Yep. So we have uh, a man, come, and, I, and by the way, the last time I heard Mitchell preach to me uh, was when he was 95. And he died when he was 96. So we have an uh, amazing example of what it means to be saturated with the word. To get a thorough grasp of the scriptures. Some of you in this room, starting about six or eight weeks ago, began reading the book of Colossians because you knew that we were going to begin studying 
this book. And for those of you who have done this, we ask you to read it once a day, every day, until today, and it would pay benefits. If you've done that, you've received the benefits. You have grown in your understanding of Colossians and the contents thereof. In other words, the supremacy of Christ in all things. Christ is all in all. You know that now in different ways that Paul's explained in that book, and so you will have a much better appreciation for this sermon series. If you want to catch up to the blessing, you can begin reading today. It takes about 15 minutes. Read the book. Open the book. And if you read it every day between now and the time we finish this, you'll have much more than 75 times read. You'll know Colossians and the truths therein. So, we need to understand, friends, that the Christian life requires a saturation with God's Word. If you don't have it, you will fail in your Christian life. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16. Does it? Are you saturated with the Word of Christ? And then finally, the reason we're preaching Colossians is so that you'll be more familiar with God's people. More familiar with Christ, more familiar with Christ's word, more familiar with Christ's people. One of the primary means of, of change that we all want comes through authentic relationships with God's people. God's people are placed in our lives in order to accomplish the very thing that we're predestined to become. Not only does God put you under the preaching of his word by assigning you a church to attend, not only does he give you the Holy Spirit to interpret the word, to have him fill your life with that word, but he also gives you people, people just like yourself who are struggling to honor and glorify God in their life. He puts them in your life to help you with that. We say in our purpose statement that Sun Valley Church uh, is, the purpose of Sun Valley Church is to give glory to God by creating authentic relationships. And then it goes on. Authentic Christian community, friends, the focus is authentic. It, it's, it's easy to have relationships with people. I shouldn't say that because it's not easy for some. We can get to relationships with people most of the time. But to have authentic Christian relationship is rare. Even in a church like ours that emphasizes community in the context of small groups. You can even be in a small group and have good intentions and still remain on the surface. Our, our conversations must get beyond sports, hobbies, and mutual worldly interests. Not that sports, hobbies, and mutually worldly interests are wrong, they're not wrong, they're blessings to us from God, but I'm saying that if we really want to see lasting, substantial change in each other's lives, we must move beyond the superficial. Whether it's in the lobby or in your small group. We want you to be in small groups, certainly, but even in small groups you must fight 
for that deep, transparent, uh, spirit-enlivening relationship that it's intended to bring. We must prioritize these things. We must resist pretense as if all is well. We cannot, we cannot play games, Sun Valley Church, if we want to see God do his work in us. How does Jesus change, it, change us? He does it by means. The Holy Spirit takes our saturation with Scripture through preaching and our commitment to authentic uh, Christian fellowship with one another and brings the transformation that we are all seeking. Friends, I want to encourage you with all that I have that these things that we pursue can be found in Colossians, and if you're here, you'll walk away a better person for it. You'll, you'll walk away more in love with Christ. You'll walk away more in love with Christ's word, and you'll walk away more in love and in harmony with Christ's people. All this will bring you lasting joy. So be here. Make a commitment to be here. I'm going to uh, now lead us in our time of uh, the Lord's Supper that uh, we serve you once a week. This being the first Sunday, this is the week that we serve you the Lord's Supper. And I hope you can see the important and simple connection between what I've said and the elements that I'm going to serve you. If, if Colossians is about Christ being all in all, then aren't the elements a, a support to that? If Christ, in fact, is everything we need, don't these pictures that we see in the elements of the broken body and the spilt blood, uh, aren't they like a, a, a support, a spiritual support to those very things? They are. And so I want you to consider as you come forward, we serve all those who have professed Christ. We serve them as they walk forward and then walk back to their seats. And you can, you can partake in the elements anytime you want between here and there. But what we want is for you to consider the word that has been preached to you today or any day of the Lord's Supper. Is Christ all in all to you? And of course, he's not all that he should be, but is he, as much of you know, all to you? And I'm telling you, if you will hang with us through the, the course of this sermon series in Colossians, he will be more all to you than he is now. These elements are gifts from God to encourage that process, to remind you of the importance of Christ in your life. You're taking in reminders of all that Christ is for you. He is your sustaining grace. He is the, the, your spiritual bread and drink. He's everything that you need to grow into Christ-likeness. So come, Christian friend, after I'm done reading the word and praying over these things, come and be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this chance to gather once again around the Lord's table and be blessed by the Holy Spirit as we partake together of this important reminder of Christ's love and work for us. I ask that if there be people in this room that have not yet personally embraced you, that in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would clarify to that individual their need for forgiveness, their need to turn their life to Christ and embrace him fully and then continue this walk with Christ throughout the rest of their lives. 
Now as I read the text, Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would emphasize it, uh, drill it down deep into our hearts and minds, the good things we have in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders, if you're here to serve with me this morning, if you'll make your way forward as I read the text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, it says this, For I received from the Lord, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christian, are you pursuing Christ? And if you're in a moment of weakness, if you've been wounded, especially if you've been wounded, this is a time for you to come and be restored. So come. All Christians come and be blessed.